0: Shalom u-voker tov.
1: Hello and good morning. We're very happy to be with you this morning.
0: They
1: say that if Moses went to Israel tomorrow, he could read the morning paper.
0: I don't know if
1: that's 100% correct. But certainly he could understand a lot.
0: Well,
1: but also you know some words in Hebrew.
0: Hallelujah and
1: Words like hallelujah
0: and amen.
1: But you also know some modern Hebrew. What you didn't know.
0: Radio television.
1: Words like radio and television.
0: Taxi and tractor.
1: Taxi and tractor.
0: Mayonnaise.
1: Ketchup and
0: Mayonnaise. <laughs> You
1: see, now you can go home and say, I can speak Hebrew.
0: (laughs) Thanks, babe. All right. Do we have a. Here we go. I had a moment's panic there. So when Carl wrote to me and said, we'd like you to come and speak for our missions week, and we want you to speak on God's purpose for Israel, my heart went, yes! Because in 45 minutes, years of ministry, I've preached a lot about God's purpose for Israel, but not necessarily because I've been asked. <laughs> so it's great to be uh, to asked to speak on a topic that's close to my heart, but most important, it's close to God's heart. And then, of course, Clara, dear Clara... You know, one of the last times I spoke here, Clara came up to me, and I didn't really know Clara. I mean, I I knew kind of who she was, but I didn't really know her. She came up and stuck a little note in my hand. I don't know if you've ever gotten a Clara note before. (laughs) It had a little drawing of an airplane, a phone number, and Clara. That's all it was. So the next day I called her and I said, "Um, I got this note, but I don't know what it means. And she said, well, I know that you go to the airport and that often you need a ride. If I'm available, I'd love to take you. So Lori and I have had uh, the Clara Mobile transportation many times to and from O'Hara or Midway Airport. So we're grateful for that. Then she also sent me a note and said, you know, in the bulletin, Pastor Mike always has a, a little piece of paper with an outline, right? three points in a poem, is that the way it is? He said, uh, you know, you can do that. And I thought, yeah, no, Claire, you'd have to give give a notebook for today's message. So I'm very serious. I know some of you uh, take notes in your Bibles or on paper, and that's fine. I I encourage you to do that. But I'm warning you right now, we're going to drink from a fire hose this morning. And if you can keep up with what's on the screen, good for you, but I'm not expecting you to do that. So What I will tell you is that if you would like to have these notes, I'll tell you right up front, if you'd like to have these notes, um, you can email office at lifeandmessiah.org and we'll we'll email them to you. And if that doesn't work for you and you need them printed out, then uh, you can talk to Clara. (laughs) Is that fair? All right. So here we go. Um, A light to the nations, God's purpose for the nation of Israel. So we're gonna start with, uh, let's see. No, I got a problem. There we go. All right, so this is Psalm 67. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Familiar passage, right? So why is it in colors? I want you to pay attention to who the speaker or who the audience is as we go through this today. This is really helpful for us as believers to see how the original authors intended uh, for the scriptures to be understood. So when you see yellow, then we're talking about the deity. We're talking about God. We're talking about the creator. We're talking about Yahweh, the God of Israel, okay? That's who the yellow is. And then the blue is the nations. God divides the world into the nation and the nations. The nation of Israel, Am Israel, and the Amim, the the peoples of the earth. So the blue will be the peoples of the earth, and the green will be the Jewish people. These are the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God, be gracious to us. This is a Jewish audience. These are Jewish people singing this psalm to the Lord. Cause his face to shine upon us. Why? The purpose is that your way may be known among all the peoples of the earth. Listen, there are people all over the world, even today, who are praying that God would bless them, right? We've had prayer requests here this morning. You might have woken up with a burden on your heart that you've already lifted to the Lord. Oh, Lord, please deal with this. Provide this. Protect this person. Meet this need. Lord, bless us. Many of our prayer meetings, much of our prayer is very self-focused but there's a purpose behind this prayer. Lord, bless us so that your name be glorified, that your name be exalted. What that means for us is that when God answers our prayers, well, we need to have his praise on our lips. It's one of the best ways that I know of that you can witness to the people in your neighborhood or in your workplace, is just when you see that they have a need, say, would you mind if I pray for you, right? And then when the Lord answers that prayer, you can say, the Lord be praised. They, they may not even know who God is. They may not talk to God themselves. But you can be a witness, an ambassador for him. Prayer is a great way to interact with folks. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So wonderful Outpouring of praise to the Lord. How much green is in these middle verses? None. Israel is not talking about herself here at all. This is all about God and about what they're asking him to do. This is part of Israel's ministry as a kingdom of priests before the Lord. And then the earth has yielded its produce. God, our God blesses us, the Jewish people. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Now, I would love to just stop and preach on the depth of this passage. These seven verses, there's so much material here. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna jump all the way back to the book of Genesis and we are gonna race through the timeline of God's dealing with mankind on earth. So the story begins in the garden, right? In the beginning, The eternal, uncreated God, the self-existing one, who needs nothing, who has the fellowship of Father, Son, and Spirit, our 3 personed God, decides in his wisdom that he's going to create a universe. And that's why we're here. Everything is created for his pleasure and for his glory. For from him, of him and from him and through him and to him are all things. Everything exists for his pleasure and for his glory. God, who is light, says, or, let there be light, and there was light. God, who is perfect, creates everything perfectly. At the end of creation, he says, it's very good, and he creates mankind in his image to have dominion. So we, created in his image, are created to rule and to reign here on earth uh, as sub-regions under his leadership. In the spiritual realm, God creates the ranks of angels. So we know about archangels. We know about cherubs. We know about Michael the archangel, for example. He's the one who's named in scripture. We also know about Lucifer. Uh, Lucifer is actually from a Latin term or a Greek term, but it's the, uh, the Hebrew is shining one, Halil. He's created as the beautiful anointed cherub. So in Isaiah 14, you have the king of Babylon person- personifying the spirit of Satan. And you have in Ezekiel 28, the king of Tyre. Um, but their descriptions are of the evil one himself. Uh, he desires to be like the most high. He was... He was in the heavens before the earth was even created he was in the garden of eden and he disguises himself as an angel of light the term prince of darkness we sing it in the prince of darkness hymn in uh, mighty fortresses of our god that term's not, not actually found in scripture but there are lots of ways in which the devil satan the adversary um, he's a liar he's a deceiver he's a slander he's the father of lies um, he is the one who is trying to be like the most high god that was what got him kicked out of heaven the five deadly i wills that we find there in isaiah 14 i will be like the most high i'm going to sit on the throne in the highest point of the north then he comes into the garden in the form of the serpent right yeah. wiser than any of the beasts and he he comes up to uh, i was going to say slithers but he's not slithering yet the curse is that'll be on his belly after that but Did God really say, the first question in the Bible is on the lips of Satan. Did God really say? And you know, he's doing the same thing today, is he not? How many of us, especially our young people, are uh, around people who are questioning the veracity, uh, certainly the authority of scripture? Did God really say, you think God really meant that when he said that? Wasn't that just for those days and not for today? I mean, There's all kinds of ways in which the Bible is being questioned today. God's word. And he appeals to pride. The same sin that caused him to be cast out of heaven is what he tempts Eve with, right? Oh, God knows. In the day you eat of that forbidden fruit, you will be like God. And in one sense, he was right in that the difference between good and evil was now known to mankind. Prior to the fall, we didn't know what evil was. And he succeeds in bringing the curse of death to mankind. Just think of it. Not only are they exiled from the garden, and the curse of pain and childbirth for her, and of hard toil, sweat, in order to uh, till the ground for Adam. But worse than that, it was the curse of death. Created as eternal beings to worship and to obey God, to fulfill his purpose, to have dominion on the earth. And now, under the curse of death. But we have the first mention in scripture, Genesis 3.15. And God's not actually talking to Adam and Eve when he makes the promise. He's talking to Satan. And he says, there's going to come one, a seed of the woman. That's an interesting phrase. The the man is the man who bears the seed. But the seed of the woman, kind of an inkling of the virgin birth that's coming. The seed of the woman is going to crush your head. So let's get Noah up here. Rolando, you are my Noah. Come on up. I've recruited four guys from the congregation to represent four characters. So all you need to do is stand here, buddy, and look like Noah. <laughs> he said, I don't want to speak. I said, you don't have to, just hold the sign. All right, so the spiritual battle escalates. Satan, adversary, Job chapter one, verse six, he's, he's uh, introduced as Satan. He incites the first murder when Cain kills Abel, and he succeeds in thoroughly corrupting mankind so that the world of Noah is marked by violence and corruption. And God regrets that he made mankind. He regrets that he made mankind. When God looks down and sees the turmoil on our earth, when he looks down and sees people being shot on the streets of Chicago on a daily basis, when he sits down and sees the corruption in our political system or in our own hearts, It grieves the heart of God. So he determines that he's going to destroy the world with a flood. But Noah finds grace, finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. He is righteous in his generation. Of all the people who populate the earth, God looks down and he finds one man that he says, this is a man who is righteous. So he commissions this guy who's 500 years old. I mean, gotta look at this beard and put a little white in it, right? He goes, he's lived 500 years on the planet before God tells him he's gonna destroy the earth with a flood. He's married, he's got three boys, and together they, they build the ark. And he's described as a preacher of righteousness in the book of Jude. So this man is given a huge task to build this ark in preparation for what only God knows is coming this flood but when noah and his wife and the boys and their wives climb under the ark with two animals of every kind and seven of the kosher animals this is interesting this is before god ever gives the laws of of the sacrificial system to uh, to moses uh, sacrificial animals go by sevens into into the ark then the doors closed the floods come, the waters rise, and all of mankind is wiped out. All of the animals that God created are wiped out, except for those he preserves in the ark. And then he makes a rainbow covenant with the flesh. Lori uh, took a picture, or texted, I don't remember. Did you take a picture of the double rainbow? Um, our son's father-in-law took a picture of the double rainbow that was out the other night and you know we, we see rainbows and we're reminded of God's covenant right but go back and read the text see what God says God says I will put the bow in the sky so that every time that I see the rainbow I'll be reminded of my promise to all the animals and to mankind that I'll never destroy the earth again The rainbow is a reminder to us, a wonderful reminder, but God said, it's a reminder for me. Thank you, Noah. Let's give Noah a hand. (laughs) So, God didn't give me a radio voice, and he didn't give me an earlobe for these uh, microphones, so we'll see if we can make this work. Wanna help me out here, Lord? i pause for a commercial break. Get talk, <laughs> All right. Thank you. <laughs> Just a side note. When I was born, uh, my maternal great-grandmother, who was born in, in Denmark and uh, only spoke Danish, uh, the first time she saw me, she said to my mother, those ears. And uh, so they actually taped my ears to my head when I was a little kid. <clears throat> you didn't need to know that, but. All right, and then, generations later, God comes down at Babel, right, because they're building this ziggurat to reach up to the sky as a worship center, and that's how we get the nations who are formed today. It was actually a judgment of God uh, that mankind wouldn't be united. Okay, Father Abraham, we need you front and center. <clears throat> no typecasting here. All right. The Abrahamic call, Genesis 12, 1-3. So God says to Abraham, I want you to leave your country, go from everything that's familiar and known to you, the things that you cherish, and you go to a land that I'm going to show you. He doesn't hand him a map of the ancient Near East and say, okay, here's Canaan. He doesn't even name the country he's going to. It's just the land that you're going to go to. And he makes him three promises. Along with the land, he's going to make him a great nation, and he's going to be a blessing. In fact, it's verse three that makes the promise to Abraham so astonishing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who, and we typically say, uh, who curses you. Um, all of our Bible translations say curse. Um, I will curse. And, and it can be translated curse, but it's a different word than the, the second curse. It's it's the one who, who dishonors you. So just briefly, uh, the word for glory or honor in hebrew is the word kavod which is related to the word kaved which is which is heavy right and the word that he uses for for dishonor is the word mekalel, which comes from kalal which means light right so we say well uh, that's a weighty matter or or I, I don't give any weight to that or we treat something lightly right that th- that's the idea uh, So I I honor it, I I value it, I worship it in God's case, or, or I devalue it. And God says, those who devalue you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Think about that. All the families of the earth will be blessed through this man. Never before in history, and never since, if you exclude the person of the greatest descendant of Abraham, the Lord Jesus himself, the God-man, uh, this is the most astonishing promise that, um, that God could make <clears throat> to a single individual. So God calls Abram out of Ur the Chaldees. He cuts an unconditional covenant with him. And if we could stop time, I mean, there, there are like 900 sermons in this outline here this morning. But go to Genesis 15, and you see how God made this unconditional covenant. He made the rainbow covenant. The Hebrew word there is asa, which is to make or to do. It's a simple word to do something. But the covenant that God makes with Abram, he cuts the covenant. This is a blood covenant. This is the most solemn kind of a covenant. And God and God alone passes between the pieces. Obligating only himself. Abraham is a recipient, he's a beneficiary of the covenant, but he's he's not an actively engaged participant in making the covenant. Genesis 17, God changes Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, Avraham, the father of many. And he commands circumcision as the covenantal sign. He chooses Isaac over Ishmael. Contrary to the laws of primogeniture, the culture always said that the firstborn got the lion's share of the birthright. God said, no, it's not Ishmael, son of Hagar. It's Isaac, son of Sarah. And then when the twins are in the womb of Rebekah, God says the older will serve the younger. Before they had done anything, Paul says in Romans 9, before they even drew breath on earth, God said... Jacob have I loved. I've rejected Esau. Because God is sovereign. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows our words before we speak them. And God changes Jacob's name to Israel. So now when we talk about God's purpose for Israel, we're talking about his purpose for the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right, Abe, you did great. Now we gotta get Moses on stage. <laughs> here comes Moses we know a lot about Moses story we don't meet Abram till he's like 75 years of age but we meet Moses when he's first born Bill you got to stand over here buddy because the, the camera is there and if anybody's watching they got to be able to see your good looks here he said I looked the part don't I, I said, yep yeah, that's why I chose you man <laughs> alright so Moses the mediator I showed up this morning, and uh, Clara's got the Ten Commandments on the table. <laughs> Perfect. So God conserves Moses in life in Exodus chapter 2, the baby in the bulrushes, right? He calls Moses as his spokesman, right? And at this point, Moses is 80 years of age. There's a lot that's happened before we get to the burning bush in chapter 3 of Exodus. And then in the ten plagues of, uh, of Egypt culminating in the Passover, God executes his judgments against the gods of Egypt. You talk about cosmic conflict, you talk about God demonstrating his power. Uh, You know, the Egyptians worshiped the sun, and God demonstrates his power over the sun God when, for three days, and, you know, the Egyptians were world-class astrologers. They knew about signs in the heavens. They never seen anything like what God did with the sun, For those three days, the cow God, the river God of the Nile River, God changes that to blood. And Pharaoh himself is worshipped as a deity. And in in the last plague, God kills Pharaoh's firstborn son, the heir to the throne, the God in waiting, as it were, in Egypt. Then he brings them to Mount Sinai after crossing through the Red Sea. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. And the word for possession here is the word segula. This is a treasured possession. Now, you may own a lot of things, but very few of those things, I think, you would consider your treasured possessions. If your house, God forbid, were to be on fire, when you went home this afternoon and you had a chance to run in and and grab one thing, Whatever that one thing would be, would be your segulah. That's how God says Israel will be for him. For the whole earth is mine among all the peoples. It's like there's this smorgasbord of nations and every nation on earth, the ones that God created at Babel through confusing languages. God goes down the whole list and he says, of all these, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you. And sometimes when I'm talking to Jewish people about being the chosen people, and especially for secular Jewish people, And if you've seen Fiddler on the Roof, you you saw it there. When Tevye says, if this is what it means to be chosen, let God choose somebody else for a while. Because to be Jewish in this world is a burden. To be Jewish in the world is to be in Satan's crosshairs. Whatever God especially loves, Satan especially hates. And so God says, of all the peoples, you will be my treasured possession. The whole earth is mine, but you... Israel will be, to me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Israel's God's object lesson. So here's Moses. Now, 40 years later, we've gone through the 40 years of the wilderness, and he's got a series of sermons. The book of Deuteronomy is Moses' swan song to Israel. And in Deuteronomy 27, he has the curses and the blessings, 28, 29. It's filled with, if you do this, then you will do that. And here's what he says. All the nations will say, why has the Lord done this to Israel? When Israel is disobedient and curses come on the womb and curses come on the fruit of the land and when curses come on the people and their enemies conquer them and when Israel gets kicked out of the land this is God's treasured nation. The Jewish people struggle with this. Look in the book of Jeremiah, the, the later prophets. Or how can you use a pagan king to discipline your people? How is this possible? Because Israel is God's object lesson. Listen, listen to these words of Moses. All the nations, right? This is the nations will say about the nation. Why has the Lord done thus to this land? Why this great outburst of anger? Then men will say, because they forsook the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. The deliverance out of Egypt is a seminal point in God's story with Israel. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Israel. Look at that phrase throughout the Old Testament scriptures. That's how God identifies himself over and over. That wonderful demonstration of I'm more powerful than the gods of Egypt. I bring you through the Red Sea. I drown Pharaoh's armies. I fed you with manna in the wilderness and brought water out of the rock. That's the God who who loves you and cares for you. But they went and served other gods and worshiped them. Gods whom they've not known God did not allot to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against them. To bring upon the land every curse that is written in this book. Moses knew what it was like to stand in the face of an angry God. When he's up on Mount Sinai receiving those 10 commandments, the people of Israel are bowing, before a calf, a golden calf that they made with their own hands. And the text says in Exodus 32, that God's nose burned. You know, we say your face flushes with anger. The Hebrew expression is that your nose catches on fire. And in the face of an angry God who says, stand aside Moses, you see what your people are doing down there? I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses preaches a message, a sermon, a three-point message. No poem, but there's three points to Moses' sermon to God. Uh, Those people that you're calling my people, God, they're, they're your people. You can't destroy them. And Lord, what about those promises that you made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob? about making them a great nation. You, you can't just wipe the people out. And number three, Lord, what about your name? Don't you care about your reputation? Don't you know that the nations are paying attention here? And the text says, and God relented of the evil he was about to do. And yes, there's judgment upon Israel, but Israel has never been wiped out. God continues to preserve his people, even amidst their sin. Thank you, Bo. Good job. (laughs) Brother David, you're up. We got a young David here, right? We got the teenage David who's uh, got the slingshot in the... All right, here we go. David selects... Or God selects David to be ruler of Israel... You know, we've got the guy's names up here, but have you noticed that the active verb always connects to God? God calls these men. God sets his hand upon them. God raises them up to do his purpose. God is still in the business of calling out a people for his own name, and he's still in the business of calling out individuals to represent him here on earth. And your job is not just to sit here in the pew and soak in good Bible studies. Your job is to go out and represent him well because your name is is on his lips. God selects David to rule in 1 Samuel 16. He saves David from death immediately after when he goes up against Goliath. And then he's got the king, his own king, Saul, the first king of Israel, who's got some mental problems of his own, is throwing his javelin to try to kill his son-in-law. And he establishes an eternal kingdom for David. In Second Samuel 7, I will raise up your descendants after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Special promise made to Abraham, to Noah, first of all, about not cursing the earth with a flood, a global flood again, to Abraham, blessing of all the families of the earth through him, through Moses, the giving of the laws and the blessings of God, he mediates to the people, and to David, he says, you're going to have someone who will sit on my righteous throne forever. Thank you, David. All right, so now we've got the nation of Israel, right? This special nation, God's chosen people, go to Deuteronomy chapter seven and start in verse six and read on through verse eight, right? The Lord your God did not select you or choose you because you were more in number than all the nations, for you were the fewest of all the peoples, right? So it's not like there's something endemic in Israel, something that's inherently good and right. In, in, In the Talmud, in Jewish tradition, um, the story is told that God gathers representatives of all the peoples to Mount Sinai. He says, "Well, I'm going to give I'm going to give my law to you," and the, and the nations say, "Well, what's in it?" Right? They say, "Well, uh, well, you can't lie," and so the nation says, well, "Well, well, we don't want that," and so they go away. And another nation says, "Well, what's in it?" And says, "Well, you can't murder." So, "Well, we don't want that. We we kill all the time," so they go away. So who's left at the end? It's only Israel standing there saying, "Yeah, all that the Lord says, we will do," right? Well. Who does that put in the limelight as being the righteous people, right? In their view, it was because, because we were good. We, we deserved this, right? We said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do what you say. And it's true. They, they say all that the Lord says we will do. Uh, but is Israel able to keep the law of God? Israel does not. Uh, just like you and I have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So my own possession, we talked about this segula, um, my own inheritance, right? This is God's inheritance. And he uses the phrase, the children of the Lord. You yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and I bore you. You will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So they're not just his children, they're his representatives here on earth. And then my servant, God calls Israel his servant repeatedly in the second portion of Isaiah. There's the first 39 chapters and then beginning in the 40th chapter, we start hearing about this servant, my servant Israel. And here's an example from 41. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend. You see, God does not forget the roots of his relationship with Israel. He's going back and reciting history. Yeah, Abraham was my friend. And I made promises to him. And Jacob, uh, yeah, I selected him when he was in the, mo- in the womb. You, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not look anxiously about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will hold you with my righteous right hand. Um, that last verse is a great verse to have a, on a uh, plaque up on the wall, Right? But well, this is a promise that God made specifically to the people of Israel in a context. God promised to bless all the families of the earth through Abram. He delivered Abram's descendants from Egyptian bondage that you may know that I am the Lord. And go back. If you want to read about this, um, go onto Life of Messiah's website, go to media, ebooks, and there's a devotional there that I wrote last year when COVID was really starting to uh, impact our lives and Passover was coming. And there's a 30-day devotional there about where is God in fearful times. And it's, it's based on this text from Exodus. When you read with um, attention to the phrases that God uses, the word of, lo- of God really comes alive in special ways. So here's this phrase, that you may know that I am the Lord. And it's found 15 times in the book of Exodus. 15 times God says that you may know. And the majority of those, he says it six times to Pharaoh, because when Moses shows up in Pharaoh's court, you remember in Exodus 5, Moses says, Thus says Jehovah, the God of Israel, let my people go. And Pharaoh's immediate response is, Who's Jehovah? I don't know who he is. We got all kinds of gods, but (laughs) the God of slave Hebrews, we don't know who he is. And it's almost as though you could see God standing up from his throne and saying, No, it's true. Pharaoh, you don't know who I am, but you will but you will. Six times, God says to Pharaoh, and three times to the Egyptian nation, I'm going to do these things so that you may know, right? My, my people, what I'm doing for my people is my object lesson in the heavens and on earth that I and I alone am God. And you're going to know it. But God also says it six times to the Hebrews, to the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, that you may know that I am the Lord. Because we find out specifically in the book of Ezekiel, that the Israelites had become idolaters while they were in Egypt. Did you know that? Now, there are faithful Israelites in every generation. And Shifra and Puach, those two Hebrew midwives that you find in the very first chapter who spare the Hebrew babies when Pharaoh says, kill all the baby boys. So they're examples of the, the righteous remnant. In every generation among the Jewish people, God has had faithful people. But over and over again, he's had to judge the people when Idolatry, particularly, has been widespread. And, and you see how the families of the earth, you see already in the story of Rahab, who's a Gentile in Jericho, a Ruth the Moabitess. And, and when Solomon prays this beautiful prayer of dedication to First Kings 8, it says, Lord, when the Gentiles come to this place, there's a court of the Gentiles for God-fearing Gentiles who believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it's not just a righteous remnant among the Jewish people, but there are Gentiles who are coming to know who God is. So here's the, our timeline, right? Noah is about, we don't know for sure, 2,500 years BC. Abraham around 2,000 BC. Um, the Exodus, the early date for it is uh, around 1444. So, you know, Moses lived to 120, so somewhere around 1500. Um, and then David is at 1,000 a, a, a B.C. These guys up here were f- flawed characters, right? Noah gets drunk, commits incest. Moab and Ammon are nations that have opposed Israel throughout our history until today. Abraham doubts God, detours with Hagar... Right, and Ishmael is born, and look at the wake of that decision. Moses murders a man, disobeys God when he strikes the rock instead of speaking to it. David commits adultery and has Uriah murdered. These are real blots, these are stains on, on heroes of the faith. Israel, this kingdom of priests, this holy nation, repeatedly turns to Israel. In 722, God sends the Assyrians, a pagan empire, to come in and scatter the northern ten tribes. That's the end of the kingdom of Israel. And God continues to send prophets down to Judah and say, shape up. You saw what happened up north. It's going to happen to you. 586, Nebuchadnezzar uh, destroys Jerusalem, but his first sweep where he takes Daniel and others into captivity starts all the way back in 605 Judah's exiled to Babylon because of idol worship Uh, you know we can focus on our own flaws and failings and Satan would love for us to do that I mean how many times has Satan tried to disqualify you from doing anything useful to the Lord because of some sin that you've committed or something that you struggle with On a regular basis. God could never use me. I've heard that voice. You know, God delights to use the broken things, He uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Just look at the men that He chose, all of them were sinful. And yet, God restores Israel. He promises a new covenant in Jeremiah 31. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I give you up, O Israel? This is from Isaiah 49. It says, you're tattooed on the palms of my hand. I can't forget you. So uh, what I want you to hear me saying here is this is not about Israel. God's purpose for Israel is what we're focusing on, not how wonderful Israel is, nor how wonderful his representatives are, but how wonderful our God is. God is gracious. He's merciful. He's abounding in loving kindness. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth." Many of the places here in this Isaiah passage from 40 to the end of the book 66, my servant Israel is named, and he's talking to and about the nation of Israel. But here and in Isaiah 53, for sure he's not talking about the nation when he's talking about my servant. Because here you can see, He's giving the servant the responsibility to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. So it can't be Israel who's doing this to itself. He's talking about the ideal servant of Israel. He's talking about the one who's going to come and perfectly fulfill what he promised through Abraham, that all the families of the earth will be blessed in him. I will also make you a light of the nations. The responsibility that he gave to Israel, which Israel sometimes did well, and sometimes did horribly, the righteous servant of Jehovah will not sin. There will be no deceit found in him. This is the lamb without spot or without blemish so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Do you know what the word for salvation is in Hebrew? It's Yeshua. Do you know what Jesus' name is in Hebrew? It's Yeshua. It's the same word. It's the same word. His name means salvation. So that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Did God select Israel? There is no question. You cannot read the scriptures with a fair reading and say, no, God just chose everybody equally. That's not what the Bible teaches. Did God choose Israel? Yes. Did he choose choose them for a purpose? Yes. Have they perfectly fulfilled it? No. And neither will you or I. But to the degree that we dedicate our lives to the Lord and walk in his spirit, then we can do what the Lord has commanded us to. Jesus said that, well, first of all, he is a descendant of Noah through Shem. He's a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through Judah. He's one greater than Moses, who was promised in Deuteronomy 18. And Jesus said, one greater than Moses is here. And Hebrews 3 reflects that very thought. He is a descendant of David physically through Mary and then titularly through, through uh, Joseph as well. He's the ideal suffering servant of Isaiah 53 and he is the light of the world. It's one of the great I am statements of the Son of God. I am the light of the world. And he instituted the new covenant which was promised to Israel back in Jeremiah 31. He institutes that at the Lord's table in Matthew 26. God loves to forgive. One of my favorite verses in scripture When we are faithless, he remains faithful. Don't you see it in this text? Don't you see it, how God treats his people? When the devil comes at you with his accusations, because that's his job description, right? He is the accuser, accuser of the brother. He accuses God to men and men to God. That's what he does. You don't have to listen to his voice. Do you understand that? If you are blood-bought, born again, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, then you are no longer held captive by Satan to do his will. The only thing he gets is what you give him. Understand that. When he knocks at the door, he doesn't get in unless you open it. The powerful thing about that is that we have an uh, advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. When Satan comes at me with his accusations, I say, huh, you sorry rascal. I know whose voice this is. I don't have to listen to you. You got a beef with me, take it up with my attorney. His name is Jesus Christ the righteous right? That's the defensive part of spiritual war for me. And then I turn to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, right now, in this moment, what would you have me do, right? Because that's what walking in the spirit is. It's tuning our ears to his prompting. And whatever it is that is his next direction for me, I'm on that. And I'm not listening to the evil one. Read, listen to the podcast. The TOE podcast is uh, listed on our website under, under podcast, the most recent one, is the battle for the mind. It's exactly about what we're talking about here this morning. Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David are all named in in, uh, heaven's honor roll. If we had time this morning, I would have had those guys read from Hebrews what the text says about them, about them as men of faith. They're honored as men of faith, not remembered for their failures. Scripture abounds with God's offers to repentant sinners. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. O Israel, O Israel. O Israel. Hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness and with him is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. God wants to be known. Fifteen times he says it in Exodus. He says it 38 times to the Jewish people in Ezekiel. He says it 19 times to specific nations, Egypt, Moab, etc. And six times he says to the nations generically that you may know that I am the Lord. God wants to be known. God be gracious to us and bless us. Cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among the nations. God's promises will be fulfilled to restore Israel to the land. It's already happening. This is the dry bones vision, right? The the people are being restored to the land, but they're not yet restored to himself. A remnant is, praise God for the growing number of messianic Jews as the gospel is penetrating. Jewish people in Israel and throughout the world. And Yeshua will restore the kingdom to Israel. Uh, Carl was reading from Romans chapter 11 and my heart just rejoiced. We could just preach from Romans 11 and have the same message in large part from Paul's wonderful text there. Romans 9 through 11 is rich. Rule and righteousness on David's throne. That's the millennial kingdom that's yet to come. Meanwhile, we are to be lights. And this is the application for you and me, right? Jesus is the light of the world, but he has deputized us. It's as though his candle has lit our flame and now we are to go. And Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, you don't hide your light under a bushel. Do the people in your world know that you're a believer? And What kind of a believer are you? How are you representing the Lord? Are you the judging kind? Are you just going around pointing fingers and telling everybody how they're messing up? So that's Satan's job, do you know that? And the Holy Spirit's job is to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment right? We can be the Spirit's voice, but if you're preaching judgment only and not preaching God's grace and the fact that he desires, he delights to restore sinners, then we're not really being the light that he wants us to be. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So let's put your name here and stand you up front and center. Put you right here. What is God calling you to do? He wants you to be a light In the world. Yes, there is a future for national Israel. Yes, God is going to restore the throne of David. You know, all that is true. But today, right now, this is the only generation that we are challenged to be salt and light in. How will God use you this week for the glory of His own name? How will you make His name glorious? How will you help Him to be known among the nations? Yes, through your missions program, and we are grateful to be recipients of your prayers and your support. I'm looking forward to the banquet tonight. But also, right here in this place, in Hammond, Indiana, God's challenged us to be his lights, his representatives. Can we do that this week? Let's not do it in the power of our own strength, but under the control of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Mike, come and pray for us. God bless you.